I'd rather be 10 people's favorite podcast than 100 people's second favorite podcast. Did you make that up, or did that come from somewhere? No, that's I, I heard it on a podcast once. Uh, Say that actor, again for me. I, I need I need to process that. I'd rather be ten. I'd rather be ten people's favorite podcast than a hundred people's second favorite podcast. Oh. I think the actor who was in Strange Loop before it went to Broadway said it, and he was like quoting someone. I yeah, it's a real snake eating its own tail. This when we do these like sort of more essay e <laughs> I never know what to say, so I kind of just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. No, I liked it, but when I think about it, I'm like, I wouldn't mind being a hundred people's second favorite podcast. Well, okay, but that's great on the curve. There's like a bazillion Julian podcasts, so that's like being number two the, in that stance is really good. That's graded on the curve of like most people have a top five list. Like I would be. I'd be content at number two, but anyway. Okay, okay, fine. Let me change the damn quote then, miss. Okay. I'd rather be 10 people's favorite podcast than 100 people's 25th favorite podcast. Okay. Are happy? Yes, yes, I am like, happy. Apparently this is the let's all make Sydney feel great about herself hour. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> welcome to the Disney desk, everyone. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. And welcome to summer. It's June. It's June. We're coming off of the high of Disney Channel month. We'll probably (laughs) still be referencing and talking about it forever Um, because we had so much fun. But as we are getting into the summer, we are preparing for some even more fun stuff for us to get into here on the Disney desk. Yeah, you know, we've been brainstorming a lot of different things to sort of kick off this start of summer month. We've had... A lot of fun thinking of different ideas. And I think one thing that really inspired us was our Patreon episodes for Disney Channel Month were very, like, sort of, sort of, like, essay prompt-esque. They were very, like, oh, let's make a game out of it. And I think that's inspired us for a lot of these topics we have coming up for this month, where we want to do more, like, open-ended conversations, more, like, sort of, like, here's a topic, come up with stuff for it. As opposed to, like, just reviews or talking about individual films sort of things. Right. You know, I like to think that you and I are, like, kind of smart, right? (laughs) I I mean... We have thoughts. You know? I mean, GPA smart? Yes. Street smart? Absolutely not for me. Well, I'm, like, the inverse of that. So so we balance each other out. But, um, you know, yeah, like, our private conversations are are almost no like reviews like we in the way that they are when we record for the Disney desk it is like I feel like we're trying to introduce a little more of what we sort of naturally like to think about and talk about amongst each other because that's kind of the good stuff that's when we're like in the pocket you know yeah I mean that was I feel like that was a lot of Disney channel just giving people the goods right like we're almost a calendar year into this, and we've been holding back, we realize. We need to give people we, the goods we to really have. get those things going. We, we have been holding back, yeah. So so let's introduce what the topic is. What, what are we talking about today? Yes. So for this episode, we are doing a prompt called Movies I Like That Other People Don't. So yeah. The idea, I mean, that's putting it gingerly. We named it, like, yeah. Stuff I Love That Other People Hate. <laughs> Which is yes. the most emotional um, version of it. Yeah, so we were thinking about doing, like, another Carter Sydney's Never Seen, and we realized a part of that is sometimes, especially Sydney, 
Well, so just a film that's really outside the box, and you're like, oh, you really like that movie? Yeah. And we thought, <laughs> oh, why don't we just take that and, like, escalate it, where we both gave a couple different films that we feel like deserve second viewing, or, like, try, just try to sell the other person on the film, basically. Yeah, or even just, like, you know, what, what I really want to talk about today is, like, I don't even care about, like selling you on it like as much as I want to think about like why do other people why do other people hate it and like how does that compare to why why I love it so much you know what I mean right no no I get that completely um yeah yeah I think it's a fun topic I like I think it's you know it's gonna be outside the box for us I'm excited I I actually have a very long list of options and I have two that I have absolutely rock solid locked in. Okay. And then the other one I'm like, it depends how much of a curveball I want to hit someone with. Right, right. Okay. But before we begin any of that, it is time for another rousing episode of Internet Minute. And the music should kick in. All right. What is your Internet Minute today? Okay, so I kind of have a more abstract one. This one mm. isn't from a specific tweet or Instagram post, but a lot of different posts on the internet right now. So as you know, uh, Splash Mountain, the iconic Disney uh, World Park ride, mm. it, it's finally closed its doors yesterday. And wow. there was actually, well, one, the lines, uh, it, was, it, it looks like it was all hell breaking loose on the last day. It was very much a, the teachers can't suspend us, like, let's go. Except you're in a pro- like a like a private park and you could actually get arrested. Energy. Um, someone was just like balancing along where the log flumes go, like the little boards that keep the log flume in. Yeah. Like they were just like walking on the beams, and it's like, what are you doing? Like there's machinery here. You could lose an right. arm. Yeah. Someone was drinking water from the park, and it's like there's Don't oil it. in that water. Like there's yeah, there's you know, grease, there's, like bicycle chains machinery, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, rust. Um, but. Uh, the line ended up being, I think the photo I saw was uh, 240 minutes, so almost three <laughs> hours. Um, oh my god. People really going all in to see the yeah. end of Splash Mountain. Um, right. And an actually very sweet moment at the end when they finally cut off the line and the last people went through. All these people were, like, all these park uh, members were, like, waving the audience away as they officially closed the doors. Mm. And, look, we talked about how it really is amazing that, like, Song of the South is basically the only thing Disney's made that it has completely buried. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, I, I, as I thought about, there are, like, a couple other things. There's, like, a lot of shorts from, like, ABC and stuff that don't exist, but that's more like, oh, they just didn't bother to archive them. You know, the Star Wars Christmas special and the original trilogy, but that's just more because George Lucas personally doesn't like those things as opposed to, like, we can't show this. Um, and it's kind of amazing that this iconic ride was built around Song of the South, and now that era is finally over. Kind right. of like the last vestige of Song of the South is gone. This ride, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, like, I don't think... I'm, I don't think most people that are visiting the park associate the ride with Song of the South, unless you're, like, uh, some sort us. of type of historian. Yeah, unless you're us or Kevin Perger. Like, again, shout out to Kevin Perger um, of Defunctland TV. But, and so, which is so, 
so interesting that it's like snuck by all you know as being probably Disney's most racist film. <laughs> but like a um, movie that uses actual racial slurs. Yeah, a movie that uses actual racial slurs. Um, and not in like a not in like a oh that's the bad guy sort of way. Right. In a oh someone's just casually saying this. Yeah. Whose lead actor was not permitted to attend the premiere of the film nor the award ceremony that he was given an award for uh, or anything at that time because of Jim Crow. Yeah. Like, so, you know, <laughs> like, what a time. But, yeah, I mean, I think I've been on that ride because um, I've been to Disney World a couple times. But, like, I'm ready, like... I like maybe it's tacky that is is it tacky to replace this with like with a Tiana thing in terms of like I, oh we're we're replacing a racist thing with a black with a black princess I mean that is another part of this conversation and that's probably its own whole episode like I don't yeah. want us to talk about this for like 3 hours but I was going to say cuz Tiana's having a moment like her oh, animated yeah. ser- Disney Plus series is still theoretically in production, and she's also getting a graphic novel, which I believe the title is like "The Magic of Harlem." Like mm. she's traveling to work with like a famous Harlem chef, and I did stop and think about it, and I'm like, should I be rolling my eyes at the fact that it's like we finally got a black princess, right? And she lives in the jazz age. She yeah. sings like her in iconic song house. is kind of a jazz number. Yeah, she lives in New Orleans. Right, is a cook. And also, mm, like, cook. her two adventures she goes on are New Orleans and Harlem, the, like, hubs of black culture of, for early American yeah. history. Where is she going to next? Atlanta? Like... Right. Like, <laughs> she time travels and ends up in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> and I, but I'm on, like, the other hand, I'm like, no, if we're going to do this, why shouldn't we just do it? Like, yeah. lean in... I don't know, but it is kind of funny that it's like, and racism was solved. The we end. Made Tiana, got Tiana a ride. We did it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, one of my favorite things is I did one of the more specific posts I saw. Someone in a Tiana dress being like, "Oh no, the ride is closed," and then just sassily eating a beignet. Is a beignet, and this I also thought of, <laughs> is a beignet the least princess-friendly food you could possibly eat? I was thinking about this, and I'm like, you know, princesses, dainty, like, sparkling, like, perfect. A beignet, there is no way to eat a beignet that doesn't get your ass covered in powdered your sugar. Whole face. It's just a mess. Like, yeah. there's no clean way to eat a beignet, even if you're eating it with a fork and knife well, like a weirdo. It's, I mean... The powdered sugar's getting everywhere. The way they draw them in her film, they look, like, dainty in that you can hold them between two fingers very easily. Right, and they're you very can just, tiny. Like, but uh, the beignets I've they're had like in real life... Size are yeah it's like the size of my head um i think i feel like i associate princesses with pie is that because of snow white honestly probably yeah because like that's because she's been making pies with birds yeah but it's like yeah but like an apple i mean no one can eat eating food in general is not dainty or dignified in any meaningful way but like at least which is why they never show disney princesses eating that's why ariel has to use a fork to comb her hair that's the best right. they could and come that, up like, with. And like, a bit. She yeah. She can't think of eating. Right. She's like, never eaten a day yeah. in her and life. Then, <laughs> and then when Snow White eats an apple, she fucking dies. Right. That's what makes eats Ursula... One piece of food. Dies. That's what, that's why, that's what makes Ursula the villain, is because they show her eating hors d'oeuvres. 
that's <laughs> that's, all, not, that's the, <laughs> not the fact she's a giant octopus lady or right. squid lady. Yeah, who um, knows? The jury's yeah, still just out on that. Because she eats hors d'oeuvres. Right. She likes appetizers. Exactly. Oh, but yeah, you know, it is. It, it was kind of a weirdly sweet moment after all the discourse about this and all of like the scuttlebutt to like see. Just, like, people sincerely saying goodbye to this ride, because it is a part yeah. of Disney history. And right, be, that's I mean, true. And it's coming back pretty quickly. It's not going to take that long. Right. But, like... Yeah, people will still be able know. to do a water ride soon. Yes. Yes, and I... Please, I, I... Just, hey, guys, general PSA, do not drink part... Like, again, roller Don't coasters your are chains it. and metal and oil. Yeah. You will get horribly sick. Please Yeah, don't, don't do that. Um... Okay, what is your internet minute, Sydney? Okay, mine um, is, like, kind of a quick one, but something that kind of tickled me. Um, it comes from the Twitter account MCU Direct, or MCU The Direct. Oh, yes. You know I that know. one? For all of your mm-hmm. MCU updates. Um, <clears throat> also, we're competing with, apparently, a fire emergency. There are si- You're going to be picking up a lot of sirens in my when you edit this. I can hear it a little bit, but it's not that bad. It should, shouldn't be that I think my video. mic is picking it up, though. But anyway, okay. So, um, this is a tweet that's a quote from Elizabeth Olsen, who plays uh, the Scarlet Witch mm. in the MCU. And again, like, all of my internet minutes are just things that, like, for whatever reason, made me crack up. And this is, <laughs> like, if you have any context for, like, who Elizabeth Olsen is, like, her sort of, like, personality type you'd also kind of find this funny. Um, So this tweet says, Elizabeth Olsen has addressed the rumors that Adam Driver is in contention to play the Fantastic Four's Richard Reed, or sorry, Reed Richards, I always say that backwards, in the MCU. And here's the quote. Like, here's, here's the quote of her addressing the rumors. The quote is, what? But why did John Krasinski do it? Let's see. Like that's the quote. <laughs> that's because her addressing. What's very annoying about it, Elizabeth? That's because the internet's but... not very fantastic. It so just like it cracked me up that the headline was like Elizabeth Olsen addresses the rumors, and the quote is just her being confused, <laughs> like her being not in the loop at all, <laughs> like her being like, I mean, "What? <laughs> yeah, like we're I all mean, collectively like, what? I think I think that was my reaction to even seeing the movie Multiverse of Madness was what? <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah, just why you? Well, again, because <laughs> people like the idea. I, I think it was partially reverse engineered from people really like Emily Blunt and they're like, oh, she'd be a fun, invisible woman. And yeah. wouldn't it be fun if they were married in real life? And I'm yeah, like, we love okay, that but, for them. I just, John Krasinski has. Are you familiar with his history with the MCU? He actually has kind of a weird history. Was he, like, in contention to be Captain America for a little bit? Yes. I knew about he was, that. He was, apparently, he was, like, the finalist. Like, they were leaning toward him. And test, like, sort of, like, focus groups were, like, yeah, Is I he just handsome don't enough for that? <laughs> well. No. I don't want to be mean. Look, again, these are all celebrities. He's handsome, handsome but, but Chris Evans is. Yeah, like, square. He doesn't look like the square-jawed Captain America type. Which right, right. Whereas Chris Evans, you have to reverse engineer is, him being like a scrawny like, little twerp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to put your, all but, your money into making him look weak. But yeah, apparently, like, he, Krasinski was, like, really annoyed that he basically didn't get this role because of his famous sitcom, or his, like, famous television comedy role. 
And that's a part of why he got, like, really into action shows. That's why he does Jack Ryan. That's why his, uh-huh. like, big directing breakout was A Quiet Place, where he plays, like, this grizz, you know, yeah. tough guy. Like, I'm surviving the apocalypse with my family. Yeah, um, death. He's not Southern in it. But for some reason, I turned into, I imagined that's him fine. as Joel. Um, right. <laughs> but, yeah, and, yeah, so that's a part of, I guess, why he took... It is funny, though, that he took the role in Multiverse of Madness, even knowing, presumably reading the script. Um, yeah. <laughs> as someone who never liked that casting, again, I, I almost put that as my movie I like that everyone hates, but generally people like that movie, so I didn't include it. Right. Um, <clears throat> like, the fact that they bring him in, and the fact that they bring an Inhumans character back, only to explode yeah. them. Immediately. murder them in the most cartoonish like wacky, like Looney Tunes esque yeah. fashion, right? One just, by that's one. That's why Sam Raimi's just better than everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that is the weird thing because it's like it, the weird thing with like multiverse characters. It's like okay, so Spider Man can be three different guys, but like you know, like uh, Doctor Strange is the same guy in every universe. They're, like the rules for this are very fuzzy. Mm. Like, why do some actors get to be the same, like, the same character throughout multiple universes, but different characters get to be cast differently? Right. Sort of thing. Yeah. I do, I am curious to see how audiences, because we haven't really gotten that much multiverse stuff yet, other than the Illuminati and, like, a couple Kangs. Right. Like, we haven't really dug into what that means. Right. So, like, I'm curious to see how general audiences react to, like, oh, this character's a completely different person. That's true. And you know what? It's so weird. Maybe it's because we've had, like... What seems like many iterations of Fantastic Four, it's only been like two. But like, I feel like, why do I? It feels like way more. And I feel kind of like preemptively fatigued by Fantastic Four stuff. But maybe it's because there's been so much fucking internet talk like about stuff like this and about who should play this one freaking role. Aren't there four people on the team? Yes. You know (laughs) what the damnedest thing is? I love the Fantastic Four and I'm the exact same way as you, Sydney. Yeah. Because it's like, we had the 70s movie that never actually released in theaters. We had the 2000s ones that I was super into growing up. Mm-hmm. We had the crappy Fan 4 stick reboot. That we don't and, talk about, yeah. Yeah, and it, we've just been talking, and basically the minute that came out, everyone's like, okay, so Fox Put is going to have to give this bed. back to Marvel? All right, let's start fan casting. Right, yeah. And at one point you suggested, like, hey, what if we do an episode that's, like, picking who we want to be the Fantastic Four? And I'm like, honestly, at this point I'm so burned out, I just want them to yeah. pick people. Like I, right. I, like I will react when they exist. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. I agree. <laughs> like the only one I had any hot take on is I thought it would be funny if Adam Sandler was the thing. But other than that, it I would had be nothing. funny. Um, yeah. but yeah, it is. I like at this point, I just want the movie to exist or some right. vision of the movie to exist. Just I want to know what they're going in. for. What is the plan? Right. Just bring them in, please. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But until that day, it yeah. is time to go back to your regular scheduled programming. All right, Sydney, do you want to set any parameters before we get started? Do you ha- did you have any guidelines or rules that you had going into in terms of like what films you were going to pick versus which ones you weren't going weren't to include on your list? No, I don't. I didn't really hold myself to like too many rules. I also don't have like that expansive of a list. Um, right. I'm trying like, to narrow it down to three, because once we get past three for any list, we tend to go into, like, yeah. crazy town. I really just have, like, one major one major thing. 
I figure there's a bunch that I'm like forgetting about. Um, but again, like I really approach this again from like an objective, like, okay, what are people's criticisms of this film? Why? Or, or, you know, the real question is like, what were people expecting? Because all of these, I think even for you and your choices, what, what I believe your choices are, like, this isn't, you know, a conversation about something, a film being good or bad, but about, like, a film failing to meet people's expectations who had very specific preconceived expectations going in. Um, right. And, you know, so that's those are kind of the guidelines that, like, I was, I'm moving with. What about you? Like, is there anything that you're sort of holding yourself to? I tried to keep it mostly to either Disney or animated. I had a couple that were like outside that sphere, but then I was like, eh, I don't know. Cause once we do that, it could just be anything. Like I just feel yeah. like I get lost at sea. Like right. I was talking to Tom last night and there was a moment where I was really considering Space Jam a legacy. Cause he mentioned it. And then I'm like, ah, do I really want to like dive oh. into it? Eh. I'm like, again, once we start getting there, where does it stop? There was a cut. Co- no, like, it'll never I stop. had two. And I really tried to lean into, like, people really don't have to not like this. Don't do something that's got, like, generally yeah. mixed response. Like, right. lean into, like, the discourse is toxic around this. And I don't know about you, but, like, I also have a couple that that are the reverse that I don't like that everyone else seems to like. Oh, God, really? Yeah. I mean, don't we all? Like, don't you? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I tend to... I don't know. I tend to be nicer to those ones because I'm like, okay, I can understand why people like this, but I don't. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, at least, you uh, know, I like I, I am at least willing to like accept that I am like an outlier here with some of my choices. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Um, did you want to hit me with your first? Sure. I'll, you know what, I want to introduce this with something that we have previously discussed at nauseum. This was, <laughs> this was, I'm bringing back um, something that we did as part of 12 Days of Podmas. It was a Carter has never seen. Uh, this is, um, why am I forgetting his name? Jim Carrey's a Christmas no. Carol. Well, see, it's weird. Uh, no, Zemeckis. <laughs> oh, Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, I was like, Robert something? I wanted to call him, like, Zimmerman or something. Um, it's weird that, that, like, even I refer to it as Jim Carrey's because he's the lifeline here in, in that right. film. But, yeah, I'm talking about A Christmas Carol, um, a movie that people straight up don't fuck with. And like, so, so if I'm, if I'm following my own guidelines here, like I want to begin by why I believe that is, and let's, let's get something obvious out of the way that it, it looks crazy. (laughs) I mean, it it looks crazy. Right. I think we talked about (laughs) with like the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that's coming out in like Spider-Verse where it's like, you have to learn the rules of what you're watching. You have to like- you're so used to a specific visual language for films. Like, oh, this looks like this, this moves like that. When mm-hmm. someone introduces a new thing, your brain has to, like, take a little bit to be like, oh, this is how this works now. Right. And I think that is the ultimate example. Because it looks, like I'm like, your brain doesn't want to yeah. process it. Yeah, and I think that was its, like, initial, f- for the time. Because we had already, 
we had already had Polar Express, but Polar Express was not, I mean, I consider Polar Polar Express from Robert Zemeckis to be, like, loved. I think people love that movie. Inexplicably for me. People, right. Even I could say I kind of love that movie. But um, even though we had that, like, in terms of the technology, this was a departure from that. This was an advancement. It was a lot more vivid. It was a lot more human-like. And, you know, I heard somebody talking about this. Like, I heard, like, a game developer once talking about... Maybe it was you that I was talking to about this, about how, like, certain animation needs to be less lifelike. The more lifelike it is, the more uncanny it is. Uh, it sort of needs to yeah. be, like, regressed um, to for the brain to kind of accept it. It's so strange how that works. But, you know, that's that's like that's our first issue with A Christmas Carol, is that, like, it's, like, you know, Charles Dickens wrote a horror story, <laughs> and it was just played verbatim. Like, right. in all of its Victorian horror, which the Victorian period is scary as crap. Like, <laughs> it's a scary time in history where everyone was ill and, like, poor and had bad teeth. And they just animated the that shit. were literally filling with smog for the first time. Yeah. Like, you know, like... It was a the hideous idea of, time. like, serial killers was forming, like... Right? Yeah. Like, people talk about, like... People talk about, like, how, like, there used to... Well, and, like, obviously this is exaggerated, but, like, pre-industrial wars were, like, this noble thing of, like, sides lining up and, you know, standing for ideals and stuff. And then, mm-hmm. like, the first battle of World War One is the French marching into German territory and getting literally sawed in half by machine guns. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, those horrors were on the, f- the home front, too. Like, yeah. what, what are these furnaces creating all this smoke? Why are there cars? Right. Like, what are cars? Like, what is all of this? Children have jobs. Like, yeah, children, children are, just are like, literally getting their arms ripped off in, in factories. factories. Yeah. Um, like, we're people all are dying in childbirth. All the time. Yeah, yeah babies no are not surviving. Anything. Yeah, it's 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 bad, and nobody's got teeth in their mouth, and that's why everyone's dead. <laughs> and and this film just straight up animates that reality, very plainly. Yes, it's gross. <laughs> but then, like, yes, and but then, like, also, and I I actually do think as part of like Dickens's personality, it also has this yeah. like really wackadoo twee sense of humor about all yeah. that. Like, it has a sort of gallows humor about everything, too, which just right. adds to this insane tonal whiplash it, where your brain yes. almost doesn't want to process all of it. That is another thing, like, tonally. It, like, to use a comedic actor like Jim Carrey, but sort of not play him for any of that, like, to use him in a comedic way, kind of in, at all, at any point. Yeah. Um and to have like the the comedy sort of happen ar- around him and to him, um, yeah, like like tonally, where are we swinging? Because it 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 does swing from being like a cheery Christmas Yuletide tale to a horror movie, uh, and like it just kind of that pendulum sort of swings back and forth, like. That is 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 a trip. <laughs> yeah, and I think well, what helps is the art style remains horrific the whole time. So even the twee magical Christmas moments have that weirdness. Weird. But I would argue, yeah, that's kind of the point. This world is still cruel and bleak, but like yeah. every now and then you can have moments of levity in it. But that right. doesn't magically make it like 
oh yeah, there's just okay, a bunch of bodies the outside. They all got cholera. That building's quarantined because <laughs> yeah. you know there was a cholera outbreak. Right. Um, like that doesn't magically go away with Christmas. Right. Okay. So yeah, people people didn't receive this film well, and honestly, like. And and I think that you can speak to this because like I feel like I kind of got you when when you saw it for Carter explains it all or not Carter explains it all no that's a different show no we that's should, my political podcast that's like why did I I was recently talking to somebody about the show Clarissa explains it all and that, so it's like fresh on my mind the Melissa Joan Hart sitcom anyway um, for Carter's never seen rather you you did come around a little bit to it. Like, and so it's like, when I go back and read the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, like, it's clear to me that most people sort of, like, ejected themselves away, like, from the story, um, because of what they were, their senses were taking in. (laughs) Yeah. And they were like, this is nothing. It's tricky because it's like, okay, if a film doesn't sell you on itself, then that's a fault of the film to a certain extent. Right. But at the same time, it's like, but you also have to engage with a piece of art where it is. Like, review right. the movie you have, not the one you want. Right. And I will say, like, as, I will say, this is a film I think really benefits from rewatches because when you first see it, you're like, holy shit, what the fuck is what any is of this? That? What is going on? Oh my God, why? Why does it look like that? And then when you watch it a second time, you're like, yes, this is what a Christmas carol looks like. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Mm-hmm. And your brain just, like, is Except. able to absorb what's actually happening. Yeah. And so, you know, with all that being said, like, now let's talk about why I fell in love with it immediately, because, you know, if, if people's complaints about this film are that, like, it's scary, it's a scary Christmas movie, Mm -hmm. like, that's kind of exactly why I love it. It's just, like, I don't have anything critical to offer in favor of this film, except for that it's kind of just my jam, like... It's just my taste. Which, like, I don't even... that's how people's favorite movies exist. Right. Like, I am not even going to sit here and try to make a case for it. I I think everyone... I think there's validity to everyone's grievances with this film. It sold me by, like, introducing us to this Marley ghost whose jaw falls off of his skull in the middle of a conversation. Like, that, for me, is when I was like buckle up like I'm in for the ride like I'm ready (laughs) let's do this thing like because that's the that's the kind of creepy crap that like like I don't really jive with horror films but like this is the kind of scary movie that I can tolerate because it doesn't terrify me the entire ride but it also does insane crap like show you this like ghost realm of a bunch of ghosts floating around with, like, ball and chains attached to them, and they're, like, bashing their head into walls and, and doing insane things like that, and it's just a Christmas story. Like, that's the way I want my Christmas to feel, okay? That's, that's the way I feel at Christmas. I'm bashing my head in at Christmas time. So it's oh, relatable. you're telling me. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I knew you were going to bring that up again. That's, like, <laughs> it's a classic Sydney pick. And here's the thing, like, I respect it because it's like, I don't know, if someone says, I'd rather someone say their favorite movie is something insane like that than just saying, like, my favorite movie is, the like, the Born Identity or yeah. something. Sorry, Born films, but, like, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have someone, like, throwing, like, curveballs and Hail Mary passes because I'm like, well, I feel right. like I understand you now. 
maybe yeah. I won't trust you with my pets. Well, I trust you with my pets because I know you take good care of your pets personally. Right. If another person said this was their yeah. favorite movie, I'd be like, you're not trusted around my animals. But yeah. other than that, I respect <laughs> you person. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I rest my case on, on that film. Um, All right. So I had a lot of ideas for my first pick. And you were very much trying to steer me toward the sort of, like, obvious pick in terms of, like, what will piss off our friends the most. Yeah. But that's what, I'm going Why to have throw. a podcast if we're not pissing off our friends? Right. Um, Fuck you, you guys. Know, I just... Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. I, we like, love yeah, you. Yeah, I hope... Yeah, I'm not going to get any meaner than that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you brought the knife out at first, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. <laughs> we have to talk to these people. Um, okay. I've pontificated enough so my stupid AC's off. Anyway, so my pick is going to be a wild one for you. I think I've mentioned this film, but I don't know if you are expecting it. It is weirdly a similar one to Robert Zemeckis in the sense that it is a sort of popular auteur director from the 80s and 90s who um, is given a big budget to kind of play with the toys. Uh Uh-oh. My pick is Oz. The Great and Powerful. So, this is a film... We haven't talked about this in a long time. I'm I'm surprised at this one, actually. This is a film I will unironically go to the mat for, even with my (laughs) occasional qualifications. I want to say first, like, I'm I'm a huge fucking Wizard of Oz person. Like, I Mm. really love the world. I really love... I love that it's a world with a very... With a lot of, like, very clear ideas, but a very loose canon. Mm -hmm. So... If you adapt it, you can kind of do whatever you want with all of the pieces. Mm. Like, there's so many different kingdoms and characters and races and creatures. It's very much like D&D in the sense of, like, yes, there's technically, like, a lore, but it's broad and loose enough that it's, like, more of, like, a playset. Like, here are all these different, here are halflings, here are tieflings, here are genasi, here are aracocras, here's a, a rule set of magic, here are different pantheons. Have fun. Make your universe. Um, and for me, that is what Oz is. And for me, I think Sam Raimi is the perfect person to adapt this material because uh, I'm trying to think of how to word this, but like, well, for me, one, the original Wizard of Oz, it's kind of insane we haven't made a film as perfect as it seems, especially considering how much of a disaster the, um, actual production was like, you know, people are getting injured all the time, uh, like, the poor Wicked Witch got set on fire. Right. Because of, like, a platform, like, malfunctioning. Uh, there was, like, seven directors. Like, it was a union disaster. Um, but anyway. For me, Wizard of Oz, Oz the Great and Powerful understands, like, the sort of broad tonal range. Like, now we look at the Wizard of Oz and it's like, oh, this is a little campy and a little silly, but it's yeah. earnest and sincere. And it's like, yeah, but for people who, like, this is one of the first movies they're ever seeing or, like, films on this scale, it's like, yeah, the Wicked Witch is really scary. Like, this stuff is actually yeah. spooky and intense and emotionally impacting. And I would argue, like, Sam Raimi really understands those jostling of tones. Like, sometimes it's whimsical. Sometimes it's actually scary. Like, the flying monkeys in Oz the Great and Powerful are actually pretty scary, which is impressive because yeah. they're just CGI creations. Um, for me, like, the moment in particular, like, I think everything he does with the Wicked Witch, who is, like, kind of a surprise reveal, like, it turns out to be Mila Kunis, who becomes the Wicked Witch, I actually think her and Raimi, in terms of, like, performance and framing, absolutely crush it, where you're like, oh, she's actually, like, 
a classic Hollywood villain. She's scary. Yeah. She's campy. She's like bellowing and screaming. And like the way they frame her has the right amount of like, this is an important character, but also like, this is a scary character. Like her first like full face reveal where she like shoots a fireball into Munchkin land. And it's like the f- camera swirling around this whirlpool of fire. As you just see her silhouette form, you're like, Oh man, this is gorgeous. Mm. Like again, so much of my appeal for this movie is it really fundamentally understands, like, the visual flair of The Wizard of Oz and how cool it can look when you're given a full budget. Like, sort of, like, the vibrancy, the color palette, the sort of, like, crazy scope the magic can take, where it's simultaneously really big and really small. Mm-hmm. Like, so many of the, like, greens, like, so much of, like, the green screen effects, so much of the CGI is pointedly trying to emulate the original film in terms of, like, Oh, these are these are just like a couple fire like like little like fire shooters and like oh this is just some like stage fog mm-hmm. and oh that lo- like it looks like a ma- like when they're walking along the yellow brick road and you see the Emerald City in the background it looks like a map painting like it looks like you carefully designed this to look as if it, it could have been painted yeah and it add it like it does feel like oh let us you know let's find a middle ground between like these sort of handcrafted splendor of the original with like the sort of cgi 3d expectations disney has Mm. um a lot of like i do grade this film a little bit on a curve too because a lot of the original pitch was like let us really lean into the original film let's lean into the mgm film and like really capture the iconography of it but they couldn't do that because warner brothers got the rights to that movie and started wielding the copyright for it like a sledgehammer oh god Um, so apparently Disney had to have lawyers on set the entire time to be 100% sure we weren't doing anything, like, artistically too similar in terms yeah. of, like, how the Yellow Brick Road looked, the shade of green that the Wicked Witch was. And I'm like, that is the most stressful... Cir- like, how yeah. do you make art under those circumstances? And the fact that they made an actually pretty damn good film is mm-hmm. really impressive. Um, for me, and, like, for me, it captures one of the... It captures so much of the fundamental heart of The Wizard of Oz for me in terms of, like, that slightly scary yet whimsicalness this uh, like the, a sort of winsome nostalgia to it all because this place is like a land of like dreams and metaphor um it adds its own parts to the canon like they add like the little chinatown that is which is not like chinatown on earth i mean yeah. like china porcelain town yeah i realized i could phrase that better all right and we have this character who's just a little porcelain girl and i'm like what an incredible little creation one it just looks incredible and it's such mm-hmm. an incredible little thing that you're like yeah this could exist in this world right it yeah it captures how scary it can be um it captures the fundamental and people complain about like the james franco at all and i do agree if they had cast robert downey jr as they originally did this would go from like an eight for me to like a nine mm-hmm. but like because he's just not quite the right energy for it mm-hmm. but um like it captures this idea of like the world of Oz is a fundamentally, like, women-run society. Like, basically, mm, yeah. all three of these people pretty quickly realize, except the Wicked Witch, which is why she becomes the Wicked Witch, pretty quickly realize this guy's a charlatan with no special abilities whatsoever. Right. And so much of the plot is, like, much like in the original Wizard of Oz, it's, like, these female char- like powerful female witches, like, sort of moving the chess pieces around as they need to. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, I think, especially in this era, like, because this is, like, kind of a sister movie with Alice in Wonderland, the mm-hmm. other, like, big all-CGI, right. 3D, uh, phasmagorium thing. And I appreciate that this one, 
like, it understands the source material better because Alice tries to make itself, like, a chosen one narrative where it's like, Alice, you are the chosen hero who's going to use the Vorpal Sword to, like, you know, get women the vote or whatever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in in the metaphor of the, like, feminist empowerment narrative. Right. Whereas this one, like, one, they, the trailers made it seem like there was going to be this big epic battle. And, like, pretty quickly, it's like, all right, I need an, Oz is like, I need an army. And all these munchkins come out and just do a rousing song and dance number. And you're like, yeah, this is Oz. This, <laughs> okay. We don't fight. This isn't a fighting thing. Right. You solve things with either magic or you throw water or on someone and they die. Battle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, like, yeah, like, Oz pretty much says, like, hey, I don't, I'm, look, I got to come clean, Glinda. I don't have powers. I'm not magic. Like, I'm not, like, a chosen one. And she just goes, yeah, but they don't know that. And I'm like, yeah, that is, like, one of the core ideas of the Oz, like, mythos. It's, like, metaphor and stagecraft and, like, being something you're, you know, faking it till you make it. Essentially. That's what all of the main characters of The Wizard of Oz are. yeah. I want a heart. I want a brain. I want to be courageous. And we don't have those things, but we're going to keep faking it. We don't believe we we have those things. Yeah. Yeah. We don't believe we have those things. And then it turns out we had them the whole time. Who knew? And especially compared to Wicked, I will say, like, the callbacks are so much better. Like, mm-hmm. I, the thing I can't stand about Wicked is how greasy the, like, references to the original yeah. book are, where, like, a guy, like, a guy gets a spell bounced on him, and then he wakes up and he's the Tin Man. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> the, and then, like, it tur- Glinda's, or uh, Alphaba's love interest turns out to be the Scarecrow, and I'm like, come on. The one reference, like, no. clean reference they do in this is when we meet Zach Braff's monkey. Best performance Zach Braff has ever given, as far as I'm concerned. He's very funny as that monkey. He's like, help, help. He's, like, trapped by, like, sentient vines. And Franco goes, relax, the vines aren't going to kill you. And it's like, not the vines, the lion. And then they look around, and there's a lion. And it charges <laughs> at him. Oz digs, like, a flashbang out of his bag, you know, like some, like, performance smoke. And it scares the lion away, and you're like, oh, right, because it's a cowardly lion. Of course he would freak out at the sight of, like, some smoke. Right. That's a fun reference. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, I think what really sunk this film is, one, like, people were just so out on this specific era of Disney live-action stuff. Like, again, Avatar comes out, makes 3D sort of CGI world the hotness. So then Alice in Wonderland comes out, and people are like, oh, this isn't isn't like that at all. Oh, Because that was, like, you know, they didn't really think about, like, that was post-converted to 3D, so everything was kind of messy. Like, they didn't Mm -hmm. think about, like, how do we make this 3D? Right. Um, So that, like, Tron, uh, John Carter, this, all kind of got just thrown in the same bin. Okay. Um, Like, I do think the Discord, like, you know, and people were like, I do think people, I don't know, I think people's expectations were very swayed by the trailers because again the trailers leaned yeah. into the Alice in Wonderland of it all mm-hmm. and then like I would argue and I would argue like half the audience was like oh that wasn't what I was expecting at all and then right. the other half just didn't see it because they're like I don't want another Alice in Wonderland thing. yeah exactly that makes sense right um have you seen that movie yet no I haven't even okay. thunk about it since it since it came out but I or okay. I do Remember you, like, watch, like, I remember your excitement about it, though. Yes, because that was right around when we became friends. Because that was, like, 2014, when we would have met for the first time. Right. And I remember, like, really trying to sell people on it, like, back (laughs) in the day. Because it came out in, like, March. And I'm like, guys, guys, no, this is, like, really good. Right. Um... Yeah, it, we're going to have to fast track that one for a Sydney's never seen. But okay. Like, 
I like seriously, guys, it's on Disney Plus, and it's it kind of bums me out because it really like Disney has been trying to do something Wizard of Oz for forever, and mm-hmm. it feels like that kind of halted their plans. Where it's like they've been want, they definitely want to do something in the parks, right? Um, like I'm hoping they get another ch- bite at the apple, maybe something like completely fresh and brand new, or yeah. like you know, there was a point when they were considering like doing that would have been like the first Disney animated film. That was when they were trying to decide like what we're adapting to make an animated film. Right. It was between that and like Snow White. And then the bomb estate was like, Oh, sorry. We gave it to MGM. Mm. All right. What are some of your other options? Do you have another pick you want to bring to the table? Yeah, I have like, I have one more like good one that, I have something I to have talk about. I have one other one that I, yeah, I feel really strong about as yeah. well, so that's good. Okay. So my next pick is um, is an interesting one because it's actually one that I actually, you know, when I ask myself the question, like, why did other people hate it? This is something that I love that other people don't like. I actually have to admit that when I first saw it, I didn't like it either. <laughs> Oh, really? No, oh, yeah. I'm curious now. So, um, I actually, and I forgot, because I have since fallen in love with this movie, and it's one that other people, like, are really, to this day, every time I bring it up, people are like, oh, that movie, like, whatever. Everyone's really disappointed, and I remember the first time I saw it being, like, underwhelmed, and, yeah, and and, and not getting what I wanted out of it. And then I just, like... You know, you said something really poignant a couple minutes ago about, like, the movie that you have instead of the movie that you want. Like, really, yeah. you know. And that really the is kind of... you imagine in your head. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that may be the core of this whole conversation we're having today is, like, mm-hmm. what, what movie did people want when they were pitched this? And then, like, how did they react to the movie that they got? So anyway... My next film that I want to talk about is Incredibles 2. <laughs> oh, you mentioned this one. I knew. Hell okay. yes. This, this one will actually be a debate. I'm excited. This isn't, yeah. Okay. Like, I was going to do Oz because I knew you hadn't seen it, but I'm like, yeah. no, we can actually talk about this one. Okay. I, as I said, like, Incredibles 2 has become one of my, like, comfort movies. Like, it's kind of one of my favorite Pixar things. I kind of prefer it over the first one. And it's not that I think it's a better mm. film. I don't I don't think that it's necessarily a better film. Um, I think I just enjoy myself more while watching it. I don't know why. But, and I guess we can get into why. But, yeah, Incredibles 2 is a film that across the board people really didn't feel like people really weren't feeling it. They weren't into it. Um, and even to this day, a lot of people really aren't into it. Um... And, you know, again, so the first thing I want to ask myself is, like, okay, why? Like, but really, this is, like, you know, I'm sort of self-reflecting here and asking myself, yeah, why did I not like this movie? Because I remember coming away from it feeling disappointed. Not just, like, I didn't just come away feeling neutral or, like, bleh. Like, I was dissatisfied when I first saw this movie. Mm. And it's because that I realized that, like, I've certainly felt sort of entitled <laughs> You know, I don't think we talk enough about the, like, degree of entitlement that audiences... And entitlement may be a strong word, but, like, it's the best word I can come up with. That there is, like, a sense of entitlement that comes 
with being sold on like a reboot remake like re edition coming back after a long ass break yeah we do need a better word for that like a franchise that goes dormant like hocus pocus 2 it's like well it's kind of a reboot because we haven't had this in a while but it's more of like a return a long-term sequel right yeah i don't know what to call that but a resurrection i don't know but um return resurrection we'll come up with yeah but you know if you're going to spend like longer than a decade to like reintroduce a film to audiences who are now grown adults like you know i think we all thought that we were being given the hits like that that we were going to go in and see the hits um mm-hmm. and be delivered like the exact same the Force beats effect. correct that we were getting this the exact same beats that we loved new and love in incredibles 1 and um that and that we would just like the nostalgia scratch would get itched and or the itch would get scratched rather and like that would and we'd be satisfied with that and they did not do that they did not they did not deliver a nostalgia a nostalgia mm. burger they did not deliver right. any of that actually i remember being upset because like you know we don't realize in movies often that like movie trailers are are not especially in animation often like the take of an actor's performance that they use in a trailer may not always be the same exact like performance that you see when you actually go see a film and there were like a couple instances in in this movie where i distinctly remember something different like a different edit of a scene being delivered in the trailers that right that did not make it into the actual picture. And I'm like, and I felt deceived by that. I was like, why did they, you know, it specifically, it was the scene with Frozone and Honey. Um, they really oversold what they were going to deliver. I have to, I have to admit that like, they really oversold what they were going to deliver, which is like probably the most iconic scene, the most iconic quotable scene of Incredibles 1, where Frozone is arguing with his wife, Honey, and they really oversold how much of that they were they were prepared to deliver and they gave mm-hmm. us nothing they they literally did not include a honey scene well, see, i will say that's like a bad example of playing hit the hits what they do with honey because yeah. the original plan was to actually have her on screen we we're yeah. going to see her before frozone where she sees a giant ass drill going through town and goes oh no yeah. grabs the suit and tries to hide it and then frozone's like come on you got like it's i got yeah. i got to deal with this right yeah, like, you know, so, so anyway, like, the, yeah, that, that is one example. Like, I came away from that feeling like, I don't, I, I remember telling somebody, like, I don't feel like I need to ever see that again. <laughs> like, like, I just felt con- content. I, I remember feeling like, I don't need a second version of this. Like, I'm good. You know, they gave Elastigirl a dump trunk ass. That was nice. Like Jesus Christ, Sydney. Why did they animate you her like that? can't say that on the air. Why can't I? I don't know. It's the rules of the radio. We're not on the radio. What? But why did they it's animate? Kind of. Can we stop for a minute? Why did they animate her like that? She did not look like. Is that just? Is because that just? Pixar weight was gain run with by time? a bunch of like forty-five-year-old horny 
like boomers in Hawaiian shirts. I don't know what to tell you. But I swear she didn't look like that in the first movie. <laughs> she, I assure you she did. They just enunciate everything in the sequel because okay. it's cle- a cleaner art style. I will say, I do, uh, the first Incredibles is a masterpiece, and it's truly one of the most innovative films of all time, being, like, the first CGI movie that's, yeah. like, all humans in, like, a domestic situation. Right. Which is very hard to do. Yeah. Like, but, man, sometimes it really shows with some of those designs, <laughs> where you're like, okay, this is, okay. this is a work in progress this here, This is cheesecake. We, yeah. So. Like, we, we have a couple more years before this can be standard. Right. So, yeah, I think. I think people's issue, and, you know, maybe you can speak to this about what the problem is with Incredibles 2 or why people have such a problem with Incredibles 2, um, is that they did not get what they felt that they were being sold when they were delivered, when they were delivered, like, a re... Again, we don't have a word for something that, like, takes a long hiatus and then comes back. Mm -hmm. Because I think we just feel like that is for us like am i wrong in in saying that we feel that if something's gonna go away forever seemingly forever and then come back that it should meet my expectations yeah i mean i i think it's a lot of different things i think one i think you're capturing a very good vein because it's like if you wait that long it should feel like an escalation like it should feel like oh this is going to be an epic like I think that is the one thing that Force Awakens really gets, where it's like, yes, we're playing the hits again, and we're basically doing another riff on New Hope. But at the same time, it has the pomp and circumstance where it's like, this is the first of its kind in 20 years. Mm. So, like, you know, it ends on us seeing Luke for the first time, and it's this swooning, epic moment. Whereas this feels like an episode in these characters' lives. It's like a weirdly, like, simple, clean story. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have the same... I'd argue it doesn't have the same emotional stakes of, like, the first one where... Like, we don't have a scene where Mr. Incredible's like, no, you guys have to stay here. Like, I'm not... Like, I can't lose you all. Yeah. And then the family comes together and it's this big hero moment. Like, it feels a little more, like, smaller and more, like, episodic than that. Which I think threw everyone off because it's like oh, this is, feels like the kind of movie you made when we have, like, a lot of these coming out. Yeah, that's true. Like, when we don't have to wait as long, like, to get, you know, get more Incredibles. Um, I definitely think a part of it, like, that's a big part of it. And I also think, like, one of the things, especially, like, all the early Pixar films are so, like, tight in terms of their emotional spines, in terms of, like, like you know, exactly what the main character wants and, like, wherever they get at the end is like this like intensely emotionally rewarding so i'm describe it really well so many of like the pixar movies are great because they have like a one line in the movie that sums everything up like Mm. marlon being like i promised nothing would happen to him and dory just going well why would you say that then nothing's ever going to happen to him yeah and it's like yeah everything you need to know about the movie in that one line right and i would argue this one's a little messier than that it's trying to say a lot of different things and i think a part of that is because like they had to change a lot of this movie on the fly. Like, they had one take. It wasn't really working. And then, I think I talked about this on an episode. Lasseter's like, hey, so Toy Story 4 needs a little more time. Oh, can right. We, can we move you guys up? Because yeah. Toy Story 4 was supposed to come out, then Incredibles 2. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, we have plenty of time to figure this out. Right. It's like, nope, less than a year. And I do feel like you can feel that kind of energy. Because, like, they clearly have a lot of, like, big, strong ideas but they don't have the time to sit down and really be like, all right, but how does it all come together? What is the big thesis of this? Yeah. 
like screen slaver is a cool villain like one he just looks cool like yeah. he's a perfect design for like the sort of like futury 60s vibe they're going for right um like but at the same time i'm like well what are you trying to say like superheroes are bad like mm-hmm. or do like are people good but you also seem to not like people because they're sheep like what, right. are, what are we going for here man that's true um and, yeah, I don't know. It's one I go back and forth on, because, again, I'm like, I wish it had a slightly tighter emotional spine, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, this is a comfort movie in terms of, like, it captures everything good about The Incredibles and leans into the vibe. Right. Like, it is, like, truly one of the best vibe movies in animation in terms of just, like, the sort of smooth 60s style. We get to hang out with these characters in their, like, the architecture situations. Yeah. Yes, the the architecture, the music, the color palette, the guy, it's a fucking gorgeous movie. It and again, is. so many of my criticisms of how the first one looks, it's just great on the curve of how fucking gorgeous this one looks. Right, yeah. Where it's like, oh, wow, this art style comes together so, so cleanly. So cleanly, yeah. Um, like, yeah, like, every, all the characters have these, like, pretty simple plots. Like, the whole, like, oh, dad mom thing, mm-hmm. you want to roll your eyes at it, but it's actually done so well and right. so earnestly, and you're like, yeah, I like these characters, so I like that this is working out. Exactly. Violet's subplot is one of the funniest things Pixar's ever done. It that is. That's just yeah. one shot of her shooting water out of her nose. <laughs> and the rest they're never going to animate anything. They might as well just no, stop trying to do done. animated comedies. Shut it down. Because they're not going to animate anything funnier than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, that's the, I think that's the embodiment of a vibe movie for the most part. Right. It's like individual scenes and moments and like flow that feels great. And even if it doesn't lead to some big emotional payoff for all of it. Right. like, well, I still had a great time. That yeah. just like... It just becomes messy later when people are like, was that good? Was that great? What was that? Yeah. You know, and like you, you speak to a good point about how compared with the first one, the first one did have really high emotional stakes and this one kind of never does. It's, it's peak is again, this rehash of the conversation about like a family of, of of people needing to like live underground not just a family of people, mm-hmm. but, like, a society of people needing to be in hiding for, like, and their small children also needing to, like, like, being in danger of or just kind of being who they are. That is kind of the height of the emotional stakes here. But, yeah, you're right. Like, in terms of a vibe movie, there are characters that we love that we just want to see do something. Like, so its episodic nature really works, really, really works in that matter. It's such a creative Where we way. we just have these different episodes of Elastigirl just saving the day in different ways. And you're like, yay. Which we love. Yeah, it's like, I I love this mom-dad swap, right? Um, with, you know, as a good vehicle for, like, the advancement of Jack-Jack in his powers. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like I, that is sort of my favorite comedic scene is of like Mr. Incredible trying desperately to like go to sleep and keep his baby asleep and his baby is wrestling a raccoon in the yard like that is like yeah setting himself on fire and things like that (laughs) yeah it's also funny because it pointedly like and again this is one thing the Incredibles does of like powers being metaphors for characters like like Elastigirl's powers are perfect for a mom in terms of like having to be in a hundred different places at once Mr. Incredible's powers pointedly are useless in, like, domestic situations. Right. Again, his, Mr. What's, Incredible, what's pow, the lyrics? pow, pow, he yeah. punches His things. song goes, yeah, punching the bad guys is, are the lyrics yeah. of his song. Pow, pow, pow. It's like, pow, okay, pow. well, if you're not that's fighting... And that's why he wants supers to come back, because his powers are so right. fucking useless in any other context. Right. Um, but you know what? Like, that's, that is another reason that I 
like fall in love with this movie because like I'm a I'm a fan of superheroes. Like I I love superheroes. You love superheroes, and I just love watching a. It, like it, it has the same effect of the Avengers of like watching a bunch of superheroes that do a bunch of different things in action at once, and it's like not just right. that, but it's like I I like I like these scenes with these superheroes that are like sort of amateur, and like what's her name Void is that her name like yes I I love all of the nuance of the scenes with her of like what is a superhero like when she's new. And she's not confident about her abilities, and she's suddenly being asked to be thrown in with, like, an expert, like mm. Mrs. Incredible, and, like, what happens there? What does she do? Like, I... But it's just fun to, like, watch all of these interesting... Watch all of these, like, vastly different superheroes with these abilities working all in the same scene. Like, those are just the most satisfying action scenes to me. And, like, that is where I kind of really dig the vibe man a lot of people describe modern marvel movies as feeling very comic booky in terms of like oh this is just a one shot issue like this is just a small issue in the series Mm -hmm. and i would argue this is the best example of that in terms of like this is just an adventure in these characters lives where we get to hang out with them jokes are said powers are used yeah everyone has a good time and we wrap up in a nice spot for the next issue exactly yeah i'd agree I agree it's one I want to come back to. Um, I also just remember, because wasn't Bao the animated short that came with it? Was Bao this one? Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, this was Bao. Yeah, Yeah, it was either that. No, no, because Coco had Olaf, and they cut that off because they were like, it's too damn long. Yeah. Um, yes. File that, that I, one really under things that other people like that I don't like. Um, oh, yeah, that's we got to do that. Uh, so my second one, and I know what you were gearing me toward, but I'm going to pull a razzmatazzle on you and come up with a different one. So mm. obviously it's going to be a Marvel film. Thor, Love and Thunder. Oh, I was hoping we would talk about this one. Yes. And I will say, like, so much of the internet poisons your brain on this, because again, the average person who isn't terminally online saw this movie and was like, oh, that's pretty good, and then went on with their lives. Like, yeah, right? Like, again, the reviews are generally good. It made more money than you would expect a Thor movie to make, especially, right. like, when Thor movies started being made. But, like, the internet discourse around this thing is cartoonishly bad, where, like, people constantly frame it as, like, this is the death of Marvel. This is where everything went wrong. It's also followed a weird, like, sudden hatred of Taika Waititi, where, like, Which everything that is man so says not now fair. gets, like... Right? Like, I genuinely don't get... Yeah, I'm sorry he's a bit twee. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. everything he says gets misquoted now or, like, you know, context-free. Like, he made a comment about, like, you know, directors are going to be obsolete someday. Like, look, no one remembers who directed Casablanca, and someday people will forget I directed anything. So, you know, let's just do our best. And people are like, oh, you, everyone knows the Casablanca director. And it's like, average person does not. And the fact no, that don't. you aren't even saying the director's name in this discussion underlines the point. That, possibly. yeah. I'm sorry we're getting a little feisty this episode, but we're, I guess that's kind of the energy. Yeah, you know, we started recording in the mornings now instead of late, like at the end of the day, and I think it's doing something to us. Yeah. But, okay. So, Thor Love and Thunder. I want to bring this one up because for me, a lot of what I love about it is the same stuff I love about Eternals. They are similar movies in two very, very important ways. One, they are films 
about gods. They are about people who will live on this earth for millions of years after everything else in the MCU is gone. Like, so much of the emotional spine of both of those films is like, you know, for the Eternals, how do you find purpose in a world where, you know, your purpose is done? Like, you did your job, and now you're just living on this planet. And Thor, I think an interesting thing they don't talk about Thor is, like, okay, all the other Avengers are growing up and moving on or retiring, and he's, like, he's been, like, he's thousands of years old. Like, he's he's going to be the same person for a long time. He doesn't right. age like everyone else does. So how does right. he find purpose now that his, like, battle is won? And both films, the answer is love. They are films about finding love. Right. Like, and figure, and realizing that that's the one thing that keeps us going. Like, right. what will you have after a million years? And it's like, well, the people who loved will have made an impact on you. Right. And then I think the difference between the two films is, you know, Eternals is very much a biblical story grappling with, you know, it's very biblical, like Old Testament biblical in the sense of like people grappling and struggling with interpreting a God's meaning and mm. kind of coming to terms with that God might not have your best interest in mind or might have malevolent intent. Whereas Thor is a fairy tale. It is the most Princess Bridey movie we've had in a long time in terms of like high fantasy concepts told in a silly whimsical way. And like, like the most common criticism I see with this movie is like, oh, the tone's all over the place which I find weirdly similar to Guardians 2. Mm -hmm. I would say, one, that is just a very American complaint in terms of we're used to genres having very strict tones that are never changing. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, every, like, you know, international film is so much more fluid with, like, tone and genre where, like, movies can be a hundred different emotions. And I would argue this and Guardians get that the best, where it's like, yeah, we have to have moments of levity so we can have more intense right. emotions of drama. Like, do you really want a dark... Like, everyone who's like, ah, oh, we need a serious Dark Thor movie. Do you really fucking want that? Is no. Is that really what you want? Like, it wouldn't be fun. You would be miserable the whole time, and it wouldn't feel good. Right. Especially this movie that is about a woman dying of cancer. Right. Like, we need these moments because, like, so much... Well, one, because, you know, otherwise it would just be miserable. And two, it's like... It is a part of this, like, I don't know. It, it, it's You're right. Like, because it's characters meeting this darkness with, like, a sense of, like, lev trying Peace? to meet this moment with levity and personality. Yeah. And, like, yeah, for Thor, that is how he copes with things. Because, again, he's going to, whether Jane had cancer or not, he was going to live hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years longer than her. Yeah. So, like, so much of their relationship was going to be centered around, like... Her dying. You know, him laughing through it. Yeah. And not trying to think of those things. Right. But anyway, on the fairy tale, like, literally, they fucking spell it out for you. Right. Like, Korg literally says, once upon a time every time he needs to explain backstory and stuff. And yes, this story is a, like, fairy tale. And fairy tales have radically crazy tones. They have very scary stuff, they have very silly and whimsical stuff, and they have, like, high-adventure magical stuff. For me, it captures, like, so much of that spec... Like, it captures so much of what a fairy tale is and can be, and it's centered around this... And like all good fairy tales, it's centered around this really strong morality... Like, piece of morality. Don't lose love. Don't yeah. let grief and loss get in the way of what that love was in the moment. Right. Like, like the whole point of this movie is, like, Gore cannot cope with the fact that he lost the person he loved the most in the world, so he becomes a, a nihilist who is literally spewing black bile and turning, oh my like, God. sending, like, like, sending shadow monsters to kidnap children. Right. While as Thor, at the final moment when he thinks he's about to die, is like, well, I'm just going to enjoy the last few moments I have with the person I love. 
And that is what finally makes Gore come around. Like, for me, this movie is so much Guardians 2 where I'm like, I feel like when people first watch it, they're like, ah, well, they played the hits again. You know, you can't make lightning strike twice. And I'm like, no, this is an elevation of the hits. This changes the game. It has, like, it's messier than Guardians 2. That's for sure. But also, again, all of these films, like, basically every film Marvel has made since Black Widow is messier because there's a fucking pandemic and it's really hard to film these movies in a pandemic. I know we want to pretend the pandemic's over, guys. I'm sorry, but, like, we are where we are. Yeah. Um, Anywho, like... It is a movie with such incredible, like, emotional strength and, like, such a pure, like, really concise soul. And I feel like the film, like, does such a good job, like, holding the audience's hand there. But for some reason, the audience did not engage with that. Mm. Like, again, and for me, like, people complain about the final battle being, like, all these kids beating up shadow monsters. But I'm like... I thought that was beautiful. Again, yeah, it's fucking beautiful. And again, it's a... Like, a fairy tale centered around this idea of, like, emotion, like, love and empathy. And, like, again, what do you have after a thousand years? You know, you have the people, you have your children. You have love and you have, like, what you passed to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, again, I love this movie because it captures for me what is cool about fairy tales, what is cool about mythology. It is these larger-than-life characters telling very simple emotional tales and, like, passing down important morals onto us. Mm-hmm. Every part of this film captures that to a T. Like, you know, this, like, fairy tale romance turning sour and then, come like, re-blooming. Like, how all of these different characters deal with loss and how it either turns their hearts black or turns them, like, sort of, like, sort of helps them grow, like, Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know... Uh, how it handles, like, this whole, like, children element, where it's, like, these children are in real, like, we're doing this all for these kids, or even, like, going to the magical plate, like, going to the land of Oz and discovering the wizard's a total fraud, where we have, you know, Zeus being, like, a a, a lush whore, pardon my language. (laughs) Um, Like, yeah, I just, it captured, I don't know. If this isn't what we're trying to make our, like, big blockbuster fantasy adventures, I don't know what we are trying to. And on top of that, I just find it to be an endlessly entertaining movie. I think all it of is. the jokes land. I think the action is crisp. The scene on the, like, lightless planet where it is our, like, rainbow coalition of bisexuals and gays shooting right. rainbows and lightning at a man who's literally gray and set, <laughs> like, who's literally stolen all of the color. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I just, what a delicious visual metaphor for the whole campiness of Thor as a character. Right. Yeah, I just feel like it's a film, again, I feel like so much of, like, why do people not like certain films, other than, like, oh, the film is just poorly executed. These films that are messy, but, you know, they're, you know, are large, this falls under, like, messy, but, like, you know, it hits the notes it needs to hit. Yeah. I feel like so much of that is, like, audience expectation. Again, people were expecting a certain kind of movie, and they didn't quite get it, and that bothered them to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, at the end of the day, I'm also just a sucker for, like, how unapologetically romantic this movie is. Something that's been that's talked true. about a lot with blockbuster filmmaking is just, like, it is very chaste a and void of lately. romance. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, like, they tried once with Captain America to hook him up with Peggy Carter's niece, and everyone immediately went, no, no, and it's like, never again. And I'm like... That is weird, though. Yeah, but he's still hot. That's true, yeah. Whereas, like, I don't know. And again, because we have so... And also, like, man, it's so nice to have a romantic comedy. 
Like, I miss romantic comedies so Me much. Me too. Yeah. I miss and romantic again, comedies being in theaters, like being treated like yeah. movies, you know? Yeah. And, like, I'm sorry, but if we ever do, like, a top five Marvel moments, there's very few moments that are going to hit me as hard as we're at, like, Eternity, and Jane is like, I finally figured out my catchphrase, and she whispers it to Thor, and it's just this beautiful little moment that's just going to be between those two people. Mm -hmm. That bit, I, like, I cry. I'm not going to, like, what a beautiful romantic moment that I've been dying to see on film for so long. Like, I think it's a special movie. I just implore people to give it another chance. And, like, turn your brains off about the CGI discourse and the, like, oh, dark and edgy discourse. Right. And, like, the tone discourse. And just really engage with what the film is about. Yeah. Engage with it as a fairy tale, not as a part of the MCU. Exactly. Um... Do we? Do you have any like ones you wanted to make the list? We could do like a quick rapid fire one. If you have one other one you want to bring up. Oh goodness, um, those were like the big ones that taking up space in my mind. Um, I I kind of wanted to include Captain Marvel. Really, and it's like we talk about a lot, right? In terms of our non-businessy conversations, like this is one we like really grapple with a lot, right? And it's like you know why I'm not including this is because like I again, in terms of vibes, like I'm all in. This is a vibe. Um, Mm. I I almost feel neutral about whether or not like it's a well done Captain Marvel story. Um, Mm. I almost don't care. You know, like it's a 90s vibe and I'm into it and I almost don't care to engage with with any discourse about this movie because it is so like drenched in misogyny um, Mm. that it's not even like it's it's not even talkable like. (laughs) No, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because like, um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting because we I think we described it as really good story but kind of a messy plot, and I do think a lot of these movies that we talk about of like I love but everyone hates it's like well it's hated on the grade of the internet and the internet is very like like it has a very specific leaning towards certain kinds of films if you catch my drift mm-hmm. yeah which just muddles the waters yeah again the famous most famousy one the last Jedi like again general audiences. Maybe they weren't as over the moon about it as you and me were, but like again, most people right. saw it and were like, "Yeah, it was really good," and then right. went about the rest of their lives and right. didn't make it their identity and their holy crusade against the women and the blacks. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would also, as an honorable mention, probably include Force Awakens too. For just yeah. like again, for just vibes alone, yeah. like I, I don't like, think it. I'm hard- I don't think it deserves most of its criticism. Because it doesn't come yeah. from an from an ingenuous place, you know? Yeah, it's probably the hardest I've ever been on a movie that I'm like, yeah, but it's a really good film, though. Yeah, right. What about you? What are some of your honorable mentions? Um, for me, some random ones. I was going to include Aladdin or Dumbo as, like, the two live-action oh. remakes that I actually think have a lot of personality and, like, a lot of charming little stuff, but... At the same time, I'm like, yeah, but audiences were generally positive about those. And, yeah, like, I think know, especially Aladdin. Money. Yeah, they didn't they didn't feel extreme enough to justify me like stumping for. Yeah, um, Aladdin, and we'll talk about this because we're doing a Patreon episode about the remakes. 
Like, I just like that they let the actors actually act. Like, yeah. you know, they don't put these characters in little glass cases, so they have a lot of personality. And right. Dumbo, I just really love how it looks. I think it has a really nice energy. Um, I was going to do Tomorrowland. That was going to be the other one I would do a lengthy discussion on. Which, oh. for me, that's the ultimate vibe movie as, like, a retro-futurist optimist piece. Mm-hmm. But then Damon Lindelof, the guy who wrote it, uh, a whole expose about the ending of Lost came out, and it turns out he was a real ogre and, like, real mm. uncool dude on set. I haven't read the full thing, but it sounds really bad, and I'm like, I don't want to defend this film right now. Yeah, I don't um, blame you. The other Marvel movie I thought about doing is Far From Home, which I was only going to say, like, oh, again, that's another one that the internet obfuscates whether or not people actually like it or not. Mm-hmm. I was going to argue it's the best of the Tom Holland movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's just a lot of like little things like that. At one point, I was just going to throw a curveball and say Wonder Woman 1984 because I want to talk about that movie, even though it doesn't fit anything we talk about. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. I, again, that's another movie where I'm like, this works as a fairy tale, as like a right. morality play. Right. Trying to apply like day-to-day logic is going to collapse. Don't do it. it. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. And again, I guess that's like what my thing is. I'm like, you know... I love defending movies like this that are, like, in the middle or, like, slightly negative because I'm, like, again, I like movies that are ten people's favorite thing than, like, a thousand people's, like, fifth favorite thing. Yeah. What is one movie you hate that everyone else loves? Frozen 2. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I just remember when that came out. And everything associated with it. Yeah. That's because it's, like... People were going so hard about like how deep and meaningful it was. And Those like, people are all Thor lying. Thor Ragnarok did the same thing, and this was so much more cowardly. Here's the difference between Thor Ragnarok and Frozen Two. Frozen Two, at some point, Arendelle was going to get destroyed, and then mm-hmm. they cha- got cowardly at the last minute. Thor, they fucking blow up Asgard. Ragnarok oh, yeah. happens. Oh, they yeah. do not stop Ragnarok. No, Asgard is gone. There's right, a bunch of rocks now. Mm-hmm. They literally do a whole bit where they're like, we'll make it a haven. They basically try to do the Frozen 2 thing where it's like, we'll make it a haven for the downtrodden. And then, oh, no, no, it's gone. See, my, like, I think what makes me, I think I, you know, my, a lot of my dislike, I can't say that I dislike Frozen as a franchise, but I dislike Frozen fans. I don't think, like, it's because it's like, Frozen is the is like a quintessential princessy film mm. with a quintessential princessy song and like a theme and blah 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 blah. And it's like, you know, I hate to be like I hate to be like, oh, you like football, name three players. Like, but I weirdly have that attitude of like, what do you people like about this stuff, really? I haven't, like, most people that love Frozen, you know what? Yeah, like, I'm gonna, I'll take a, I'll take a note from my own, you know, from my own pages here of being like, maybe people just like the vibes and they're willing to shut their brains off in order to engage with this stuff. And it's like, I mean, that's, that's more of a criticism for the sequel than it is for the, for the original Frozen film. I don't. I like the Which original I Frozen like. films. I do, but it's like I think everybody has shut their brains off in order to enthusiastically enjoy Frozen Two. Yeah, yeah. I, like again, so much of the discourse around Frozen Two, it's similar to Frozen One, where it's like that people love the themes and ideas. But mm-hmm. I'm like Frozen One, the themes and ideas are carefully and really well weaved and yeah. sketched through the piece. So when you get to the whole like true love's kiss thing it has a really good payoff because you've earned like 
everything about it. Like, you know, your brain has been tricked into thinking this is just another 90s Disney princess movie, and then they pull the rug out from under you, and it's like, oh, no, it's not about the romance. It's about these sisters. Whereas, like, all of the themes and ideas about, like, colonialism and, like, whitewashing history yeah. are so, like, clumsily included in the second one. It doesn't feel like it gets yeah. paid off right. It doesn't, yeah. I think that would be the big difference. Um, I'm trying to think of another one for me. Weirdly, uh, No Way Home, or, yeah, No Way Home for me. And again, I don't even hate, all the Tom Holland movies I like, but I don't love. Yeah. But, like, it's just so weird to me that everyone's, like, unambiguously the best movie. And I'm like, okay, I just, and again, there's so much, like, the emotional spine of, like, Peter dealing with his identity being leaked is so strong. But then the minute all of these other characters get here, we just lose that. Mm. And, like, it comes in bits and spurts, and I'm like... I just love that, like, they're like, yeah, if Sony didn't agree to let us have all the old characters, I was going to suggest a Craven the Hunter movie. Like, someone hires Craven to go hunt Peter down. I'm like, I unironically would have preferred that movie. Yeah. <laughs> because And just had it be, like, Craven, Vulture, Scorpion, some new villains. Like, as much as I love seeing Andrew again, and Toby again, mm-hmm. and Willem again, and... Again, it's it's the uber example of what bothers me about the Tom Holland movies of, like, they are some of the most fun, like, coolest action, best, like, comedy. Like, they're some of the films... It's kind of the reverse of uh, Force Awakens, where I'm like, I love this movie, but it has no soul. Yeah. Right. Um, And then, God, I'm trying to think of another one that would be really big for me. Um... That and Rescuers Down Under, but that's more just, like, everyone's always like, it's an underrated classic, it's an underrated classic, and I'm like, I don't know, like, it's cool, like, it's visually nice, but, like, and it's, like, it's, like, the bad end of a vibe movie, where I'm like, it's a vibe movie that seems to think it's more, like, pretentious than it actually is. Yeah. It's, like, it's a little adventure about mice, you don't have to have the same all the time. Right, I'm like, Great Mouse Detective knows exactly what it is. It's a twee little adventure about little mice solving the missing person case. Right. Like, that's the underrated classic, people. (laughs) Um, Or, oh, I was going to propose one more um, one we love that everyone hates. Mary Poppins Returns. Oh. Do people hate that? I do not get the hatred toward that. Yeah, people fucking hate that thing. Why? I don't know. Just because... I th- a lot of people just don't like Rob Marshall. Like, oh. It's weird that, like, there were, like, three Rob Marshall movies I was going to put. I was going to put Into the Woods also, but then I was like, I don't feel like diving in. Like, I don't feel like talking about James Corden or Johnny Depp right now. Yeah. Um, we don't need And to do then that. Mary Poppins Returns is the other one, and I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of similar for me to Incredibles 2, where I'm like, yeah, yeah it is like, it is like we're back with this character in right. kind of a similar setup as the last time. Same ideas, same kind of energy. Let's just go and have a good time. I love that movie. Like, it, I, because it feels like she never left. And, like, it's, it's like, exactly. they just they just capture the, the magic kind of so well. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, if there's one character you can do, like, a long gestating return for, yeah. and literally have it in the title, it's Mary Poppins. She right. Age. She'll just show up when no. she's needed, and it'll... Don't and worry about they it. Acknowledge that in the movie, yeah. like at the end, the balloon lady's like, you know, they'll need, they'll forget these lessons, right? And she goes, ah, they always do. They'll just need a reminder. And I'm like, yeah, yes. that's the message of this movie, and it's right. a good message because that works for Mary Poppins as a character, right? Exactly. Um, any wrap up thoughts you wanted to have before we close up this debate? 
No, this is a good, this has been a good talk um, and has really brought up some interesting, definitely some things that I need to like brush up on in terms of like a lot of the films you talked about today. And I feel like we could go on and on about this. Like the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, like there's, there's so many films that it's like, I don't think people necessarily, like I love this film, but I don't think anybody hated it. I think it just went under the radar. Like if we're going down this mm-hmm. Mary Poppins rabbit hole, I'm like, oh, what about Saving Mr. Banks? One that I think people oh, just forget exists. One. Like, it just right. was so quiet. It happened, it came and went so quietly. It was supposed to be, like, the big Oscar winner of the year. Yeah. And it was, got good reviews, and then everyone's like, well, uh, carry on. It's like, wait, aren't we going to nominate about everyone? Movie? What do we... And it's yeah. like, ah, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's another one I would put on this list, too. And, yeah, I guess that's, like, also... It's tricky because in the internet age, you want to say, like, oh, everyone has a different opinion. There's so many different takes and ideas. Like, no movie is universally hated or universally loved. Right. But at the same time, internet discourse has gotten so hijacked by, like, specific very loud voices. Mm-hmm. Like, we think of movies in these, I love it and everyone hates it, or I hate it and everyone right. loves it terms. And it's like, well, it's a little messier than that. Yeah, that's true. And it's about sort of, yeah, it's... The being, if you're one of the five people who love something, it's about advocating for it and trying to sell people on it. And maybe they won't love it as much as you, but they'll still get something out of it. Yeah, exactly. And until I force Sydney to watch Oz the Great and Powerful, I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. Thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on Earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.